0: You are listening to the Forgotten News Podcast.
1: But before we begin, here are a few words about a couple of other podcasts that we think you might want to try.
2: Police departments around the country are notorious for turning a blind eye towards officers who have committed serious offenses. I'm Katherine Sheffield, the host of A Few Bad Apples, a weekly podcast that takes listeners into deep dives of crimes committed by bad apple officers. Not all policemen are bad and in fact I highlight a positive story at the end of every episode. Sharing these victims' stories is my way to provoke change within police departments.
0: A Few Bad Apples is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: After my first few episodes, some of my newfound fans called me a lore master, which was an honor and so epically cool. But the thing is, I desire to be known as the lore master. So... This is the tale of the rise of an epic podcast that critics say is redefining a genre. The tale of a man who decided that his calling in life was to give a future to the past. The saga of Arjun, your lore master. Come dream with me as we go deep into our stories. If you think you've been taken to a battlefield before, I assure you, you're mistaken. So take a deep breath, let it out slowly, put some smoke in the air if you choose, and prepare to let your mind flow to my voice as we go deep. Welcome to Deep into History. Available everywhere. Welcome to the Forgotten News Podcast. This is your window to hear true stories from long ago, stories that once made headlines, stories that people thought would be unforgettable. Yet those stories were soon lost in the sands of time or were buried deep in the dustbin of history. In this podcast, we shake off the sand and dust from those stories and share them here with you as fresh as the day they were first told.
1: And now, here's your hosts. Hello, everyone.
0: And welcome to episode 47 of the Forgotten News
1: Podcast. This is Jim.
0: Hey there. This is Kit. This is Jessica.
1: Listeners, you might remember that our previous episode was released on the day after Thanksgiving. However, it was recorded during the week before. so. I will ask, did everyone have a nice Thanksgiving?
2: I did. I had a really nice Thanksgiving. Um, I didn't get to go see my family, unfortunately. Um, I just did Thanksgiving dinner with my boyfriend and my roommate. It was very chill. Um,
0: I slept a lot of the day. (laughs) Terrible, I know. And how was yours? Thanksgiving was great. Um, As usual, I did cook too much and we had a lot of leftovers. um, Since it was just the two of us this year, lots and lots of leftovers. But I was thankful to be able to still make a full Thanksgiving meal uh, because I was not going to let that pass me by, that's for sure.
1: Well, Thanksgiving was a lot different than last year or any year in my adult life. I mean, first of all, my mom had passed away earlier this year. So obviously this was uh, the first year where she was not any part of Thanksgiving. Although there were some years where a phone call was the only contact that I was able to have with her on Thanksgiving. However, putting that aside, I had a very nice Thanksgiving overall. Just immediate family, but like Jessica, we made the same amount of food, despite way less people. So I was stuffed. And not only was I stuffed on Thanksgiving, I still felt stuffed for most of the next day. So, overall, I had a very good Thanksgiving, and I was in a good mood at the end of it. And, probably for that reason, I am actually looking forward to Christmas.
2: Now, needless to say, Christmas and New Year are around the corner. So, listeners... We have a couple of Christmas gifts for you.
1: We will tell you about the first gift in just a moment. You will hear about our second gift after our featured story.
2: We will begin by saying that one thing that we have noticed over the past three years is that nearly all of the most popular episodes of this podcast have dealt with unsolved disappearances. So on this episode, our first gift to you is that we're going to tell you a story that might just be the great granddaddy of all unsolved
0: disappearances. A case from 90 years ago, the unsolved disappearance of Judge Joseph Crater, in the year 1930 now listeners some of you may know
2: that i have previously told this story about a year ago on an episode of my other podcast whispered true stories however on that show i told the story entirely in whisper but Since we feel that this story deserves to be more widely known in the present day, we've decided to tell it on this show, the one you are listening to right now. Obviously, not in Whisper.
1: (laughs) However, as much as we would like you to listen, we are first going to tell you about a few things in the story that might be too upsetting for some listeners. And in that way, you can decide for yourself if you want to continue to listen or not. This story
2: includes mentions of possible kidnapping, murder, adultery, gangsters, and political corruption. In regard to the disappearance of a prominent judge In New York City. And if any of those things might trigger a negative emotional reaction for you, then perhaps you should just skip this episode. In addition, listeners, we do not recommend this episode for children, since it might be a little too scary or upsetting for young ears. So, if any little ones are nearby, we suggest that you either put on earbuds or headphones, or listen at a later time, when no children are in the vicinity. And since this is a very mysterious story, it will be narrated by our very mysterious co-host, jessica malone
1: and with all that having been said
2: on with the show
0: Cities are noisy, sprawling things, crisscrossed with streets and avenues, pockmarked with towers and ditches. Cities are a combination of the beautiful and the ugly, and the people of the city are as diverse and varied as the buildings, rich and poor, the educated, and the ignorant. The hurrying, scuffling, and ever-growing population that makes a city alive. They are the participants in a million stories acted every day in the city streets, homes, and buildings.
1: And you will now hear one such story.
0: Our story begins on August 6, 1930, in New York City. On that evening, Judge Joseph Crater got into a taxicab in front of a restaurant at 332 West 45th Street. He waved goodbye to a couple of his friends, and then Judge Crater was never seen or heard from ever again. And, before I say anything else, I will mention that nearly every description of his disappearance begins with Judge Crater getting into this cab, and then, simply, vanishing. However, the two friends to whom he supposedly waved goodbye, a man and a woman, later claimed that they had been misunderstood, and that in actuality, it had been the two of them who had gotten into the cab and waved goodbye. And that Judge Crater had then simply walked away down the street and evidently into the bowels of oblivion. But regardless of which version is true, it is obviously difficult for anyone to disappear completely, and it would seem especially difficult for Judge Crater. He was 41 years old, 6 feet tall, and 185 pounds with a very distinguished face. He was known for always being well-dressed. In fact, his suits were handmade by the most expensive tailor shop in New York. He was a judge of the New York Supreme Court, which is actually a trial court for the county of New York, despite the fancy name. And just for the sake of trivia, I will mention that the highest level court in the state of New York is called the Court of Appeals. Okay, now that you know that, we will move on. Judge Crater was married. He had met his wife, Stella Wheeler, in 1917 when he served as her divorce lawyer. They were married a mere seven days after her divorce was finalized. At this point in time, she was 18 years old and Crater was 29. Shortly before their marriage, he had written a letter to a friend in which he described Stella as, quote, a warm summer breeze that had somehow been transformed into a lovely 100-pound beautiful girl, unquote. But those warm feelings towards Stella must have gradually cooled during the following years, because during the decade prior to August 1930, it was very rare for her to be seen with him. Particularly not in the evening when Judge Crater would actively enjoy the very best restaurants, nightclubs, Broadway plays, as well as every other type of entertainment that was available in New York City. And as the night sky would grow darker, there were large blinking signs in every direction advertising to the people on the street what type of services they were able to provide on the wrong side of 12 a.m. Now, what would Judge Crater be typically doing on the wrong side of 12 a.m.? Well, he was often seen dining or walking along the street with a gorgeous showgirl or a giggling dancer an aspiring actress, or even young women that were known to be prostitutes, and occasionally with his arm around their waist, or vice versa. Yet, it appears that his wife Stella must have decided to just look the other way in regard to that aspect of her husband's life. The best example of this is the fact that During the month before his disappearance, the couple had gone on a summertime vacation together in Maine. However, at some point near the end of July, Judge Crater received an unexpected telephone call. Something about the call must have rattled him, because he reacted by telling his wife that he needed to return to New York immediately to straighten something out. The next day, he went to their apartment on Fifth Avenue. But instead of handling any business, he then went to Atlantic City, New Jersey, with a showgirl named Sally Ritzy, who might, or might not, have been his mistress. Incidentally, Sally Ritzy went by the stage name Ritz, which is the name she is most commonly referred to in most reference sources. Judge Crater returned to Maine on August 1st. He traveled back to New York on August 3rd. However, before making this final trip, he promised Stella that he would return to Maine in time for her birthday on August 9th. According to Stella, the judge had been in good spirits and was behaving normally when he left for New York City. On the morning of August 6th, Crater spent two hours going through his files at the courthouse. He may or may not have destroyed a number of documents. Judge Crater then told his law clerk to cash two checks for him for a combined sum of approximately $6,000, which is equal to nearly 80000 in the present day. He then left his office with two briefcases, which he took to his apartment together with his clerk, who he then gave the rest of the day off. The papers in these briefcases were never found. Mrs. Crater was unable to throw any light on her husband's disappearance, but some weeks later she found two envelopes in a desk. One contained nearly 7000 in cash, and the other his life insurance policies for $30,000. Interestingly, there was no immediate reaction from the public or the police to Judge Crater's disappearance. But when he did not return to Maine for over 10 days, his wife began making calls to their friends in New York, asking if anyone had seen him. It appears that some of his male friends thought he had gone off on an escapade with a showgirl, perhaps Sally Ritzy, the same young lady that he had taken to Atlantic City five days before he disappeared. However, at the beginning of the week of August 25, 1930, when he failed to appear for any session of court, the other judges in the courthouse became alarmed, They quietly began a search, but failed to find any trace of him. Nevertheless, for unknown reasons, the police were not notified until September 3rd. And after that, it immediately became front page news. And then the quest for Judge Crater quickly transformed into the largest manhunt since the search for John Wilkes Booth, the killer of Abraham Lincoln. But by the time that the police were finally involved, the trail had gone cold. Crater disappeared at around the time of the beginning of a massive investigation into political corruption in New York and connections between gangsters and politicians, including judges. So what about Judge Crater? Was he corrupt? Early in his legal career, he had wanted to be a law professor, but he soon discovered that those jobs did not pay much money. He was later quoted as deciding that for him, quote, the best way to get ahead is to go into politics, unquote. The investigation into political corruption in New York revealed that to obtain an appointment to a judicial vacancy then, quote, a man was typically expected to make a substantial contribution to the political machine, typically an amount equal to a full year's salary, unquote. In April, when Judge Crater was appointed, he had withdrawn $23,000 from his bank, It might have been for such a payoff. Another possibility involved an 18-year-old showgirl, June Bryce, who had been seen talking to Crater the day before he disappeared. A lawyer acting for Crater's wife believed that Bryce had been at the center of a scheme to blackmail Crater, which would explain why Crater had taken cash out of the bank and that her boyfriend... A Mafia gangster had killed the judge. Bryce disappeared the exact day that a grand jury was to convene on the case. In 1948, she was discovered to be institutionalized in a mental hospital. On February 20, 1931, a coat belonging to Judge Crater was found in the apartment of an expensive prostitute named Vivian Gordon. Five days later, she was found murdered. In October 1930, a grand jury began examining the disappearance. There were a total of 95 witnesses and 975 typewritten pages of testimony. The conclusion of the grand jury was that, quote, the evidence is insufficient to warrant any expression of opinion as to whether Crater is alive or dead, or as to whether he has absented himself voluntarily, or is suffering from a disease in the nature of amnesia, or is the victim of a crime, unquote. Subsequently, the name of Judge Crater remained as number 13595 on the missing persons file, between 1930 and 1979, when it was finally closed. The chief of the bureau stated on the anniversary of the disappearance in August 1974, quote, the chances are 100% that he will never be found, unquote. There are many people who believe that he simply took off to Canada to avoid becoming entangled or smeared in the corruption investigation. However, it seems unlikely that he could have done that without eventually being recognized by someone. Over the years, the New York City police have even dug places suggested by rumors connected to mafia informants, visions from psychics, and anonymous letters, but unfortunately without any success. Judge Crater's wife soon drifted into poverty without his income. She eventually found a job working as a telephone operator making $12 per week, approximately 400 in the present day. In 1937, she went to court asking for her husband to be declared legally dead. Two years later, she received a ruling in her favor and Judge Crater was declared to be dead which enabled Mrs. Crater to collect his life insurance, approximately $20,000 at the time, the equivalent of nearly 400000 in the present day. The fate of Judge Crater continues to be entirely unknown right up to this day. And, in the words of historian Rupert Furnow, quote, There are no clues to the disappearance, only suspicions, unquote. I will mention, just as a side note, that for almost 50 years after his disappearance, the name of Judge Crater was often used as a punchline for jokes by professional comedians. For example, it was very common in the 40s, 50s, and early 1960s, when a comic would tell a joke that got no laughs, to slowly look around the silent room and say, as if making an announcement, Judge Crater, call your office and those jokes would almost always get a laugh. As late as 1988, there was a joke about Judge Crater in an episode of the TV show Designing Women. But in more recent years, jokes about Judge Crater have pretty much gone away, partly because he has mostly faded from the memory of the public, and perhaps because it has become bad taste to make jokes about people who have gone missing. And, on that note, we have now reached the end of our story. Listeners, what do you think happened to Judge Joseph Crater? Did he simply take off to some unknown location to avoid getting dragged into the New York political corruption investigation, which had begun around the time that he disappeared? Was he a target of a gangster gunman, possibly to prevent him from talking about criminal connections to political corruption? Was he murdered as part of a blackmail scheme? Was he killed by a jealous boyfriend, husband, or an angry father of some young woman with whom he was cheating on his wife? So, what do you think happened?
2: First, Jessica... Thank you so much for narrating the story. Excellent
1: job. Yes. Thanks, Jessica. You did great.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But Jim, Kit, what do you think happened to Judge Joseph Crater? Hmm? I'm not.
2: Well, this story completely perplexes me. I have no idea what to think because there are times when, you know, in the story you hear the fact that he left money and life insurance papers for his wife um, that you think, honestly, I thought maybe he was going to kill himself. But the fact that he took money... It makes me believe that he didn't and that he was just going to run away maybe with one of his showgirls or one of the prostitute girls. Um, But then it's also like, was he corrupt and paying off someone and then running away? It's all so confusing to me and honestly, I just want to know. But unfortunately, with unsolved cases like this, you really can't know. You're just left with a bunch of questions. So, yeah, that's that's what I thought. <laughs> um, what did you think?
3: Well...
0: I think there's probably good reason to believe Um, he probably got caught up in the corruption investigation, and there are probably some people that wanted him to keep quiet. But I think we can all agree that he was engaging in some risky behavior.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Definitely, yes. (laughs) Now, my original thought about this case was that Judge Crater had disappeared to Canada or wherever to avoid the corruption investigation. But the more that I have thought about it, I have changed my opinion. I think his wife might have been right. That perhaps he took out money to pay off someone who was blackmailing him. Possibly that mafia boyfriend of the teenage showgirl. Maybe he paid him and that guy killed him anyway just to make sure that nothing about the payoff would ever come out. So, you might be thinking, well, if that's the case, then how come they never found his body? Well, even in recent years, there have been a lot of well-known people who have quote-unquote disappeared and no one has ever found the body um i well i'm
2: not really sure what else we can say after all none of us are cops historians cold case investigators or private eyes (laughs) although you know sometimes i think it would be cool to do that So I think it's time to move on. Yes. I agree. So now, listeners, we will move on to the latest edition of our regular segment, Police Blotter and Court News, in which we bring you stories of small-time crooks and other random folks who, for one reason or another, ended up in the machinery of the justice system a hundred or more years ago. And this particular segment will be narrated for you exactly as it was written in a column published in the Cleveland Plain Dealer on October 11th, 1860. In the words of the anonymous reporter who wrote it. However, Before we begin the segment, we will mention three things. First, we will once again remind you that in the 19th century, it was very common for reporters or editors to insert their opinions into their descriptions of the news, and you will hear that type of commentary throughout the reporting in this column.
1: Next, any time that you hear any amount of money mentioned in this segment, please be aware that $1 in 1860 is the equivalent of approximately $30 in the present day. So, if the amount of a fine seems low to you, it isn't.
0: Finally, we will now give a short warning to our listeners The stories that you will hear in this police blotter and court news segment are essentially a slice of life from the dirty streets and dark alleys of everyday life in the mid-19th century. So, on this particular segment, you will hear various mentions of theft, violence, and prostitution, among other crimes.
1: Listeners, if you think that hearing about any of these things might possibly cause you to have a negative emotional reaction then this segment might not be something that you should listen to
0: so if that is the case just skip ahead roughly seven minutes from now give or take a couple and it will all be over
1: and for the same reason parental discretion is strongly advised for any children who might be nearby since there are some portions of this segment which young ears probably should not be listening to
2: and so with all of that having been said here we go police blotter and court news
1: order in the court
3: Municipal Court, Cleveland, Ohio, October 11, 1860. Thomas Allen and Charles Gallagher, charged with disorderly conduct. These two well-known fighting men had a fight on a public street after leaving a tavern yesterday. No bets were put up at the time, but nevertheless, Allen made a complaint. The judge ordered payment of $5 to the police fund for officers that are injured or killed while on duty. (coughs) Thomas Sidney charged with robbing the till of Mary Wilson. The case was ordered continued until the 14th. (coughs) Peter Shaw charged with stealing a pile of old iron. His case was continued to the 14th also. Valentine Apple. This bad fruit was charged with using indecent and insulting language. He was convicted and fined $10 and court costs. William and Mary Alexander, husband and wife, charged with operating a house of prostitution. William, alias Elephant Bill, was also charged with being a procurer of prostitutes for his house and for several others. According to sworn testimony given in court today, Elephant Bill leads and controls a group of approximately a dozen men and women known as cadets, who are thoroughly trained in various methods of deception, seduction, persuasion and flattery. These cadets go out to the countryside on the outskirts of town three or four times a week to procure naive young women and girls for brothels in this city, specifically for houses with reputations for exclusively employing daughters from good families. The courtroom heard the testimony of three girls, 16 to 21 years of age, who had been lured, in this manner, by false promises and then forced to become common prostitutes, or to be whipped with a lash by Elephant Bill. However, they had managed to obtain their freedom when the police recently raided the house where they had been imprisoned. The defendants were convicted of the charges. Mary Alexander pled guilty to keeping a house of prostitution. She was fined $10 and court costs. William Alexander was fined $30 and court costs and sentenced to the dungeon of the jail for 14 days. Editor's Note Elephant Bill is one ugly customer and even attempted to resist the police officers when they took him out of the courtroom, but they speedily induced him to cool down. J.G. Orth charged with attempting to kill his father. He waived his right to a preliminary examination and was bound over to the Court of Common Pleas for trial. The judge authorized bail to be granted in the sum of $4,000.
1: I hereby declare this court is adjourned.
0: And that brings us to the end of the Police Blotter and Court News from October 11th. 1860. We hope that this short visit to some of the dim, dusty, and rowdy side streets of yesteryear was an interesting and educational experience for you. And before we move on, we would like to thank our guest narrator and guest voices on this Police Blotter segment.
3: Hey everybody, this is Emily G. Thompson, a true crime author and podcaster, I'm the host of Morbidology, which is a weekly true crime podcast uncovering some of the world's most heinous murders. I'm also the co-host of The Shattered Window, which is an investigative true crime series uncovering the murder of Jacqueline DeWallaby Wallaby over the course of 10 episodes. Make sure you're subscribed to Morbidology and The Shattered Window wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hello, everybody. My name is Karen Wickham, and I am the host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments.
1: Jeremy Collins of the Podcast We Listen to Facebook group and host of the podcast by the same name. Thank you. Terrific narration.
0: Thank you. That was wonderful. Yes, thank you so much, everyone.
1: And... Listeners, we would very much like to be able to tell police plotter stories from the 19th century newspapers of your city or town. So, if you have the time and ability, just send it to us by email. The address is podcast at gmail.com.
2: Now, moving along, the next thing on our agenda is is the recommendations and advice segment.
1: But on this episode, we only have one suggestion, and here it is.
2: Be sure to listen to our next episode, where we will feature a recording of the 1939 radio broadcast of the Campbell Playhouse audio drama Adaptation of the story A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens with the voices of the great actors Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore. This will be our third annual presentation of this awesome audio drama. We will be releasing that very special episode on December 21st. So, be sure to tune in.
1: And check it out. I'm really looking forward to
2: that. Listeners, if you are a fan of the Forgotten News podcast, then please be sure to go to iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe to our show.
1: It definitely helps to bring in new listeners and gives us a bump in the ratings. But please,
2: five-star reviews only. Please, (laughs) at least until the pandemic is over because I think the pandemic is causing people to be cranky since we've recently gotten a few reviews that are cranky.
1: (laughs) So if you love our show, or even if you just like our show, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. By the way, listeners,
2: We want you to know that we really do care about what you think. Honestly, we want you to understand that. We aren't just sitting here and saying a bunch of empty words. We say what we mean and we mean what we say. So if you have any ideas, suggestions, or other comments that you want to give about the podcast or any particular episode, just send us an email. The address is
1: forgotten at gmail.com. You can also comment or contact us through Facebook or Twitter. Just use the search box and type forgotten news podcasts. Now speaking of Twitter, you can also reach me
2: on Twitter if you have anything that you would like to talk about. And I do mean anything, but just be good. Because if you're good to me, I'll be good to you.
1: (laughs) Oh, she's good. So everyone, please be good to her.
2: My Twitter handle is at KitKaren, and that is spelled K-I-T C-A-R-E-N But please be sure to type it as all one word.
0: Um, if you'd like to connect and chat with me about whatever you can reach me at XOXO Jessica XOXO on all social media platforms and at gmail.com Listeners,
2: Jessica is too modest to mention it. But please take a few minutes out of your day sometime this week and listen to her new podcast, Motor Mouth Radio. She tells fictionalized stories that are sort of like prequels to the stories told in popular songs. It's a really unique concept and definitely interesting to listen to.
1: She's very good.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Now, moving on.
2: Um. Now, I think it's time to wrap up. Okay, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Please remember that we have a special episode that we will be releasing on December 21st, featuring the 1939 Campbell Playhouse radio adaptation of the story A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens with the voices of the great actors
0: Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore. Goodbye everyone. And by the way, please wear a mask, wash your hands, avoid large gatherings, stay six feet away from basically everyone.
1: Stay safe and you'll stay alive. And don't forget, History is
3: weird sometimes.
2: Goodbye. And have a good night. Or day, if you're listening during the day. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to the Forgotten News Podcast. You will now be returned back to the present day, and we hope that we can count on you to join us for our next episode. There is no trap so deadly as the trap you set for yourself.